This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church around the world. I'm Greg Musselman. Violence has erupted in Manipur, that is a state in northeast India, claiming 60 lives, burning and destroying 50 churches and displacing thousands of people. Now, most of those dead are believed to be Christians. Now, according to India media, 10,000 troops have been brought in to restore order. And at the same time, a hearing of India's Supreme Court claims there is no persecution against Christians in the country, in spite of overwhelming evidence that is happening. In fact, it is even getting worse. But joining us to talk about the increase of violence against the followers of Jesus, not only in India, but also Pakistan, our home country of Sri Lanka, and around the world, is Rishini Witkrim Singha. She is the executive director of the Religious Liberty Partnership, which is a collaboration of Christian organizations, including the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, from every continent focused on religious liberty for all and seeks to be more intentional in working together to addressing advocacy, research and assistance and raising awareness of religious restrictions around the world. Rashini joins me from Colombo, Sri Lanka. Rashini, thank you for being on Closer to the Fire. Thank you, Greg. It's good to be with you. Before we talk about what's going on in India and some of the other places, talk about the Religious Liberty Partnership. How did it start and what is the goal? Greg, the Religious Liberty Partnership was started as a, as a, as a network that brings together groups working on religious persecution all over the world. Uh, and the question that was asked was, what is it that we can do better that we can't do individually? And over the past 16 years or so, the Religious Liberty Partnership has grown. And today we have 50 full members and almost 70 uh, associate members from all over the globe who work on issues of religious freedom. Now, I know we're involved with Voice of the Martyrs Canada and uh, the CEO of uh, VOM Canada, good friend of both you and I, is Floyd Brabell. Uh, and I know when he got involved, and even before him, Glenn Penner, uh, felt that this was very important. And I know some would say, well, yeah, but it's just a bunch of people meeting, and are they really going to you know, make a big difference? But tell me some of the uh, results you've seen as a result of the partnership. Greg, over the years, the Religious Liberty Partnership has brought together groups that are working in, say, one specific country, uh, but they don't know that they're working in that country. So bringing people together, getting them to collaborate brings synergy and, and better results and effectiveness in helping those who are targeted for their faith. And the Religious Liberty Partnership has um, task groups currently, uh, which look at specific areas of religious persecution. And so we have a task group on apostasy laws. We have a task group on research, a task group that looks at refugees and religious freedom, uh, a task group that looks at training of leaders uh, and so on. So we, we hope to introduce new groups too, based on our members' interests. And the whole idea is that there is togetherness and that there are common shared goals because at the end of the day the work that needs to be done is so massive that no one group and no one organization can really achieve it all and working together is the only way forward 
Yeah, and I think one of the things that we've seen with Voice of the Martyrs and in the way we work in Canada and then also our member organizations with uh, the Voice of the Martyrs and then beyond that is partnership. So, I mean, we've worked with you uh, a lot in Sri Lanka over the years in documenting persecution, and then we go and talk to the people. You've done the research, so that's important. You know, what I really appreciate about the Religious Liberty Partnership is getting people together. As you mentioned, many of them feel like, hey, we're the only ones that are, you know, dealing with the situation in our own country and maybe not understanding that, you know, the persecution of Christians and other religious groups goes beyond the borders of their nation. And then we've made some incredible friendships uh, because of working together now. Uh, you know, we heard about what was going on and, you know, some of these other nations, and now we have these partnerships. So I think just getting people together, and I think, Rashini, also coming together and praying together and then saying, hey, we're all the body of Christ, we're all believers in Jesus, and we need to work together. So partnership, again, something that's so important to you and the organization. Definitely, Greg. I mean, and the, the buzzword is partnership and definitely that is what the RLP is for, for building partnerships between groups. And we will continue to have that uh, synergy that uh, goes together. I mean, again, when, uh, you know, these meetings go on, uh, then ideas come back to us at Voice of the Martyrs and to other organizations and how can we, you know, better be working together to bring awareness. Uh, yes, certainly is the practical parts of this, uh, you know, in terms of aid and teaching and all the rest of it, but uh, it is generating prayer and bringing awareness. So when you hear the situation going on in India, uh, did that shock you when you heard that there was so much violence and so many churches burned down in Manipur? It was a shock great because of the, the magnitude of the violence. But then again, India is a country where we have seen religious violence, particularly against Christians, for many, many years, for decades. And uh, there have been reports that violence, acts of violence perpetrated against Christians in 2021 and 2022 exceed 500 incidents per year and these are just documented incidents and in the first two months just of this year there have been 123 incidents wow so the the violence that took place in manipur is is nothing new and uh, in addition to the violence i mean india has restrictive laws in i think 20 states which actually restrict uh, the sharing of your faith and that very often Christians and even Muslims who share their faith are targeted and charged with trying to forcibly convert some you know, unethical conversion under these laws. And so couple that with the kind of violence that we see where, where people are beaten up or people are, are somehow physically harmed and places of worship are destroyed. The situation there is quite sad. And it is something that we also see in, in, in Pakistan and also in Sri Lanka. Uh, so across the board in this region, we see uh, minority religions being targeted. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's harsh. And, uh, you know, I just had uh, an interview a few weeks ago with uh, uh, some of our friends in India just talking about you know the the anti uh, conversion laws, and they said, you know, and they're and they're leading, going from a legal perspective. There's, there has been no proof of any of this, and yet 
these continue, you know, to see these cases going to court and people being arrested and the harassment and the rest of it that goes on. And then we're hearing that the government of India is saying that there's no persecution in the country. I've even read some reports that went to the Supreme Court. I mean, how do you react to that, Rashini, when we know that this is going on? It is documented even by those that are trying to intimidate the church by putting video of, you know, churches being attacked or Christians being attacked, even in police stations. And then for the government to turn around says, no, no, this isn't even happening. Well, it's not a surprise, Greg, because uh, not only in India, but if you look at the whole South Asian region or even other countries in the world, it is very rarely that a government would actually accept that there is violence against a minority religious group. And uh, again, looking at the South Asian region, uh, I mean, this region is completely... uh, challenged by so many things, you know, when it comes to issues like good governance, uh, human rights, uh, poverty, uh, economic sufficiency, um, political instability. Um, There are many challenges that governments face and and also geopolitics. So when governments are struggling with all these very often, you know, the rights of minority religious groups and their basic human rights uh, don't really get counted as priorities. So it is not a surprise that the the Indian government says that they are unaware of this. But um, I mean, of course, there are also certain instances when some uh, elements of government have actually uh, said positive things. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, in, again in India recently, uh, before the Supreme Court, uh, the, the state government of Tamil Nadu uh, went on to say that, uh, according to the Indian constitution, that everyone has a right to to practice their religion and, and to talk about or, or preach their religion in a peaceful manner. So there are those little positives also. Yeah, it's interesting in many of the constitutions of countries where there's a lot of persecution, uh, it states that there is freedom of religion. How that works out practically, of course, is another thing. But again, we're seeing these reports in India, you know, from Manipur, uh, you know, 27 villages attacked. And sometimes it's in plain sight of state police and military uh, you know, mobs form on the streets. So the government obviously knows what's going on, but you have the BJP, which is a radical Hindu government. It says if you're Indian, you are Hindu. And uh, that just, you know, of course, uh, you know, affects everything and just makes it so difficult for the followers of Jesus uh, even to be able to evangelize and tell others about Jesus. And when we talk about proselytization, uh, yeah, you know, to, uh, you know, use untoward methods of enticing people, uh, you know, we don't believe that as Christians. It's, you know, God draws by his Holy Spirit. In fact, Rashina was reading in the Bible, it is God. Again, I'm reminded that it is him that is drawing people to himself. So uh, we shouldn't even have that. And if people are doing that, and again, reports are coming out of India, that's not happening. So uh, we're grateful that, uh, you know, people are sharing their faith. And then you have the Evangelical Fellowship of India and other parties have actually filed petitions with the country's Supreme Court calling for more advocacy. So can you help in that, you know, with the Religious Liberty Partnership, even in, you know, countries like India, uh, you know, as they're trying to be 
at least, you know, somewhat more open to other religions? Greg, it is interesting indeed that the Indian uh, Christians have decided to go before the Supreme Court and ask for an independent agency to be set up to monitor violence against Christians. Now, how the Supreme Court would respond to this still is unclear and we, we have to wait and see what they say. But efforts like this uh, should be encouraged because uh, in, within the country, the, the, the Christians or the, or the minority, uh, it could be any minority religion, but they are actually uh, using the protection that the law offers to them uh, to go before the law and to go before the courts and to ask for justice. And that is a very positive thing. And uh, as the RFP, uh, we would encourage people to do that. We would encourage groups who find their rights being violated to go before the courts and seek justice. Now, of course, this is not always possible and it is not possible in some countries at all. Um, so in those situations, you have to resort to, to other means, more uh, like advocating with the government and you know, talking to governments and, and diplomacy uh, to, to, to make sure that laws are upheld, that just laws are upheld and that if there are negative laws or bad laws, that they are changed. Now, I know when you get together, there's often at the end of the uh, conference when you gather together as a group with the Religious Liberty Partnership and you put out a statement uh, sometimes directed at governments like India or Pakistan and you know some of the other countries where these things are going on, Nigeria. Uh, do you ever get a response back from the government um, that you know that you have taken this stand and that there are you know Christians from all over the world literally that are concerned about these situations governments generally don't respond to statements uh, greg but um sometimes you do see governments taking action which is uh, a response in in a way to kind of statements and i'm not just talking about statements the rfp makes but statements that other groups and sometimes groups within the country make. And uh, I, I know, for example, um, <clears throat> um, in, in Sri Lanka, when in 2004 and subsequently in 2009, there were attempts to bring in anti-conversion laws in the country. And there was a lot of advocacy that was done uh, to, to ask the government not to bring in this very restrictive, very unfair law. And, uh, so, you know, it took a long time, but finally the government actually shelved that bill. Um, of course, there were other means that were brought in uh, to, to restrict Christians from worshipping and having, uh, you know, places of worship. But the anti-conversion bill itself was shelved. So I guess the question is maybe, you know, people either listening or watching this podcast, uh, does advocacy work in countries like India, Pakistan, or your home country of Sri Lanka? That's an interesting question, Greg. And the short answer is yes and no. Um, there are times when advocacy can work and has worked. And there are times when advocacy does not work for many, many years. For example, you mentioned Pakistan. So there has been advocacy against uh, the blasphemy laws in Pakistan, asking successive governments to, to abolish this law. But it hasn't happened. 
And we also see similarly in India, where there are anti-conversion laws in certain states. Uh, there has been an you know, advocacy done for many years, but we don't see it happening, not yet. So sometimes advocacy can take a long, long time to actually bring results. And uh, I mean, there is no um, perfect um, formula in advocacy to, to bring about solutions. So it is, it is always a case of continuing without giving up. But I wouldn't say that advocacy doesn't work because it also depends on um, each situation, each country. And like I said, there are so many variables, there's so many challenges that countries face and it becomes very complicated. And um, so the way a government would react depends on so many variables. Right. And I, again, I guess you have to be in it for the long term, because as you say, you can come together for a meeting, put out a statement, and you know that it may fall on deaf ears. It may not. Uh, but I think with increased pressure, hopefully some things start to change. And maybe even to inspire uh, Christians within, say, India or Sri Lanka or Pakistan and around the world not to give up. Uh, you know, if we want instant results, and that, of course, you know, at least in the West, that's, you know, we want to see results instantly. And if we don't, people say, well, I guess that's not working. Let's move on. But, uh, you know, in God's plan, things can take a long time. We just need to be persevering and keep going. Rashini, recently we heard that the government of Sri Lanka is now trying to get churches to register. Uh, and so you have Buddhists and local governments that uh, I guess they're feeling threatened. I know that when I've been in Sri Lanka and we've especially even gone into the rural areas, we see more of the violence against Christians in the big cities like Colombo. It's more having the churches uh, register. Uh, what is the situation right now in Sri Lanka in terms of some of the pressure that's being applied through getting the churches to have to register? So, Greg, uh, as I mentioned earlier, since the, the anti-conversion bill was shared, there have been successive moves, various circulars issued by the government to ask places of religious worship. And mind you, it, it excluded the Buddhist majority, but minority religions to register places of worship and uh, particularly constructing new places of worship so this, this continues and this is always used as a weapon. I mean, this uh, is weaponized to try and restrict Christian worship and Christian places of worship. And uh, there was a time uh, around 2012 when the Muslim community also suffered uh, through the use of this, uh, uh, this, this order. Um, but the challenges still continue, I mean, together with violence. And, and you're right, sometimes uh, you find people going into places of worship, demanding them to show uh, their registration. I mean, these are documented incidents that I'm talking about. And when they can't show it, you know, there will be a, an assault or there will be an attack on the place or it will be demolished. Uh, so this is, these challenges continue to happen. How is that affecting the church then in Sri Lanka? I know I I asked this question often. I did recently talking about Pakistan and also India, Nigeria, of course, which has so much violence and thousands are killed every year. How is it affecting the growth of the church in Sri Lanka? Uh, you know, with the Buddhist majority there, and in some places it gets pretty violent against the followers of Christ. 
is that intimidation working to slow down the uh, the spread of the gospel there? The great violence has been there against Christians throughout centuries, but it has not slowed down the spread of God's word. And I don't see it happening in Sri Lanka either. I mean, um, yes, people are intimidated. Yes, people are sometimes made victims of violence. But, uh, you know, those who really believe will not allow that to stand in their way. Well, we know the Bible teaches that the kingdom of God will suffer violence and the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. And I was actually speaking in the, the church where I attend and I was talking about, you know, a gate. It, it's something that doesn't move. And it's not that we're just kind of holding on, you know, the believers in Sri Lanka, Pakistan, uh, India, where we're talking about today primarily, it's we're we're spreading the message of Jesus going into some of these very hostile areas and I know talking, uh, you know, some of our friends in India going into villages, Hindu villages, and proclaiming the gospel, or in the case of Sri Lanka. And, and I've met some of these pastors. They, they've taken their families into some of these communities, strong Buddhist communities, and for a while there's favor. But when the church starts to grow, that's where the problems start. And, but yet they're persevering and they're continuing to move on. And that's why we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ and also the organizations that support Christians uh, in Sri Lanka, you know, not only documenting the stories, but then helping them in a practical way to encourage them in their faith. And, uh, you know, I know when I've been there and uh, being able to to meet the believers, they're very resilient. Uh, they have many challenges. And I guess we all have challenges. And whether we're in Canada, Sri Lanka, and some of these other places, the Religious Liberty Partnership, of course, Rashini, is a Christian organization, and your primary focus is the followers of Jesus that are undergoing persecution. But there are times, though, when you do stand with other faith communities and other religions. Yes, Greg, definitely, because uh, the Religious Liberty Partnership believes and supports Article 18 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and the International a declaration on human rights, sorry, universal declaration of human rights, both of which talk about the, the right to the freedom of religion or belief of every person. And, you know, we cannot just shout and cry only when we are hurt or our rights are violated, when, you know, only when Christians' rights are violated. And uh, if we don't speak up on behalf of other people, whose rights are violated and who are attacked because of their faith, that wouldn't be very, very fair or very Christian, would it? Right. Yeah. No, we need to, uh, you know, God has given us a free will. And then that's what we ask for. And even in countries where it is predominantly Christian, people have the right to choose. And that is a, is a God-given gift to all of us. And when we see oppression and you know, those rights taken away, it does cause us uh, a lot of concern. And certainly, of course, again, because we're believers, followers of Jesus, we want to be able to support our brothers and sisters in some very difficult situations. So, Rashini, what can Christians in Canada and those listening to this podcast around the world, how can we best stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ? Yes, Greg, there are several ways. First of all, prayer. I think that is the foundation of the kind of support that anyone can give the, those who are suffering because of their faith. And that is something that actually, if you talk to victims of um, 
persecution, that is the first thing that they say that, you know, they say, pray for me. So uh, that is the most important thing I would say. Uh, secondly, I would say to speak up. It is very important that when you are in a situation where you can speak out, you need to speak out against those who are suffering. And then I, I'm reminded of uh, Pastor uh, Nameless, uh, famous court, you know, where when they came for the socialists, I didn't speak out. And, you know, he talks about different groups. And finally, he says, when they came for the, for the Christians or when they came for me, uh, there was no one to speak out because everyone else was gone by then. Right. So he was talking about this during Nazi Germany. But I think it is true in any situation, in, in, at any given time in, in, in the world and anywhere in the world. So speak out, ask for justice for those who don't have justice. And, um, you know, I mentioned the, the ICCPR or the International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights and the declaration then in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights about religious freedom or the, the right to the freedom of uh, religion or belief. And, you know, there are many countries in the world that have ratified these international covenants or the, these international laws. And by law, they are required to incorporate this into their domestic legal system. Now, some countries do that. Some countries don't. Right. And even countries that do that sometimes don't really implement these laws. Uh, I can give you an example. In, in Sri Lanka, there is an act called the ICCPR Act, and that brings into our laws uh, the, the statement, Article 18, which is there, which talks about the freedom every person has uh, to the freedom of religion or belief. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the very rare instances that this act has been used in our country, it has been weaponized against uh, people from minority religions. So it, it doesn't really uh, keep to the spirit of the, the, the spirit of the law, I mean, the spirit in which this law was actually drafted. Uh, so there are situations like that. Um, and, you know, speaking out and asking countries questions about not, you know, not doing right, not implementing their own laws, not keeping to standards that they have themselves signed on. Right. Yeah. And that is something that a question that can be asked. And so prayer, speaking out and then support, support those who are suffering. And this can support can mean many things. It can mean providing medical attention to those who have been injured or providing food for those who are starving. It can be providing training for those who need uh, to learn about how to, you know, be safe. Uh, it can take many forms. And so, but those three, I think, are very often talked about, these three things that I talked about. Um, and I'd like to add something to that. And to, to these three S's, I would like to add another S, and that is, to study and to study and learn the lessons learned by the, the by Christians who are enduring hardship because of their faith. Learn the lessons that the churches that are being targeted because of their faith are learning because we see 
restrictions coming in all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we see certain problems coming up even in Europe and maybe even in your part of the world. Mm-hmm. Yes. In North America. So it is not something uh, you know targeting people for their faith, targeting Christians for their faith in Jesus Christ is not something that is exclusively um, a problem of the global south. It is spreading all over. And so learning and and those who are persecuted very often rely so heavily on the parts of the world which are supposedly free and where you know where where you can really uh, speak out and do things and help. But when we see the kind of struggles that the churches are going through in countries where there is restrictions, spreading to other other countries where we have got used to thinking are free, that is a warning sign. And I think it is very important that Christians in those countries and churches in those countries learn those lessons and learn how to stand strong. Uh, Rashidi, before we go, oh, and I was just going to mention, too, about some of these laws uh, from Pakistan. So you have the blasphemy law, the anti-conversion laws uh, in India, and even we see happening in Sri Lanka. A lot of the times these laws were created to protect everybody, but then it tends to then be taken over by the majority religion and then weaponized, as you, I think that's the word you used, when you know towards those that are not of the majority religion. And uh, so, again, we just... Pray for governments uh, in these nations, not only on our own, that they would, uh, you know, uphold uh, the spirit of the laws that uh, that were created to protect all people. Rashini, before we go, can uh, you lead us in prayer? Because, you know, we talk about prayer, and that's something that we need to do because it is the most important thing. And the Lord gets a hold of our hearts, and uh, you know, whether it's you know getting involved with Voice of the Martyrs or you know other organizations that work with persecuted Christians. Yeah, we we certainly love the support so we can help more of our brothers and sisters, but it's praying and it's in praying that God's God moves on our hearts and then he does amazing things. So can you lead us in prayer? Yes, Greg. Happy to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a big God who has room in your heart and love for every person on this planet, Father. And Lord, we pray at this time for those who are suffering for their faith. And we remember those who are suffering in silence because they have no voice. Mm -hmm. Lord, we pray very specially for the situation in India, for families who have lost loved ones, for those who are injured, for those who have lost their homes. And Father, we also pray for those who have perpetrated violence. Lord, we pray that you will bring peace, that you will bring comfort, and that you will bring justice, Lord. Father, we pray this prayer for those who are suffering for their faith all over the globe. And Lord, we also remember before you those who stand in the gaps, those who pray, those who serve, those who speak up, And we also remember Father organizations like Voice of the Martyrs and many others around the globe that serve those who are suffering for their faith in you. And Lord, we just lift them up at this moment for your blessings to be there for them. And Father, even as 
we continue our journey on this earth we pray lord i pray lord that you will help us not only to support each other and pray for each other but also to learn from each other and lord because there is nothing more precious in your eyes than when your sons and daughters gather together and pray father and we just pray for that unity across the globe across continents across denominations across races that we will all in one voice worship you father and pray to you and lord i just commit all ourselves into your hands and ask for your guidance and your blessing on each one of us in jesus holy name Amen. And let me pray for you, Rashini. Father, just thank you for Rashini and thank you for the work of Religious Liberty Partnership. And as you bring your children from the different continents to come together to strategize and and to find ways to be more effective in bringing awareness. Uh, first, the first and foremost is our persecuted brothers and sisters, but other uh, religious communities as well. We want to be the light of Jesus but uh, you would just help our friends as they gather and, and and again strategize and advocacy and and the work that they're doing uh pray for rashini she gives leadership uh to this organization that uh, you would just help her lord give her wisdom give her guidance and all those uh, that are a part of this uh, amazing group of people that are just so concerned about what is happening to our persecuted family that uh, you would be with her. Thank you, Lord, for the amazing opportunities that we get to be able to stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We learn from them and they learn from us because we are the body. And if there's ways in which Voice of the Martyrs Canada and other organizations represented uh, at the Religious Liberty Partnership uh, to be more effective uh, in helping those that are suffering for the sake of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time together. And thank you for Rashini and our friendship and, and all that she is doing and continue to be with her and the team that she leads. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Rashini, thank Amen. you so much. Uh, you are, again, the Executive Director of the Religious Liberty Partnership. And to find out more about the Religious Liberty Partnership, you can go to rlpartnership.org. And I will put that uh, website on the episode notes. And uh, as you're listening to this podcast, if I could just ask those listening or watching is to maybe make a comment or, uh, you know, just rate the podcast and that will help other people find it. Again, the goal of this podcast uh, and this program really is to have people praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters and finding ways in which we can stand with them as they face attacks because of their love for Jesus. Rashini, again, thank you so much. Thank you, Greg. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's been a pleasure seeing you again and having you on the program and uh, always appreciate your insight. You come from a legal perspective, of course, as a lawyer, uh, and you're using those skills for God's kingdom. So again, thank you so much. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire. <laughs>